you from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. I'm at the Trust Arena, where we just watched Lori Lightfoot become the 56th mayor of Chicago. And we're going to put a global lens on the new mayor and on Chicago. With me here is Carrie Leiterson. She is a reporter in Chicago, teaches at Northwestern University. She's the author of Mayor 1% about Rahm Emanuel and uh, does a good bit of thinking about human rights and the uh, governance. And we're going to chat with her about what's been going on here. Nice to see you, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I wonder if we can talk, first of all, about human rights as um, a Chicago thing. When, when you think about human rights in Chicago, what, what does that say to you? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a you know a formal definition of human rights globally, and some of those issues apply to Chicago. And then I like to think of it just a little more broadly. I mean, you know, we've obviously had... Uh, police and you know representatives of the state killing and um, abusing people, which is you know a pretty standard international human rights issue. Um, but then just to take it more broadly, a lot of the issues that Lori Lightfoot hit on in the speech today, things like decent housing and um, mental health care, health, adequate health care in general, um, just the you know really the pursuit of your own potential, you know, may or may not be defined officially as human rights, but I think those are values that, you know, the city's adopted, especially shown in this mayoral campaign and election, that those are things that we all, um, or at least most of us, hold dear and want to pursue. I was interested in, like, her bottom line was safety, and she said there was no higher calling than safety. And this is a basic fun. This is one of the big basic fundamental human rights. You have you have a right to your own safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a right not to be killed uh, on your own city streets mm-hmm. uh, um, and she seems to bring an appreciation of that that's pretty serious she, she's very uh, shoulder down on that stuff yeah and that's the, the trickiest and you know in some ways the most interesting issue and I think Rahm Emanuel took it plenty seriously too I don't think we've had a problem with mayors not taking it seriously enough but it's more how do you address safety because the traditional way is actually can actually be exacerbating human rights abuses if it involves incarceration and and uh, tough on crime approaches so you know she laid out and we'll see how she's able to pursue the vision of investing in communities and you know all the direct and indirect ways that you try to get at public safety including police reform directly too And there's people who are skeptical about her ability to deliver on police reform. Yeah, I mean, there's people skeptical from both sides. You know, she'll face plenty of opposition from the police and the more tough on crime crowd. And, you know, unfortunately for her coming at the same time that Kim Fox is kind of under fire, too. And, you know, there's pushback against the, um, you know, the um, progressive reforms to criminal justice system here in Cook County. And then she's also, um, during the election, uh, was criticized by the, you know, the more, um, the more uh, proactive, you know, more strident pro-police reform um, activist groups. Although the ones I've talked to, the activists I've talked to, all said they were really willing to give her a chance. So, you know, I think she has a great opportunity to see what she can do. She came down with the, the comment, public safety is not only f- affordable for the wealthy, or not, it should not only be for the wealthy. That's a that's a pretty heavy thing. She bring she you know she delivered a fundamental truth there. It's uh, wealthy people feel safe in the city and other people don't. Well, part of the narrative of the past year is that wealthy people don't feel safe anymore. You know, there's been a relatively small number of shootings and carjackings and things in wealthy neighborhoods, which is part of what drove the you know the Chicago crime debate to even a more. Um, you know, even a higher level and exacerbated the Chirac, uh, you know, 
label even more. But um, yeah, I mean, I would think it, it should be hopefully obvious that people all over the city have a right to be safe. And, you know, tackling the economic challenges is the way to do that. You're not going to arrest your way out of violence. And, and she clearly knows that and, and says she values that approach. And uh, you know, no, no mayor has been able to wave a ma- magic wand and get rid of guns. It's um, mm-hmm. if, if you, uh, there's a helplessness about safety if you, if there are so many guns. Yeah, but I mean, but that's the you know that's where it comes again to, um, yeah, the guns are going to be out there. So the really difficult challenge of providing you know the I mean after school programs alone are not going to solve gun violence but just all the complicated web of of jobs and other opportunities and um, you know peer intervention and all the really hard unclear things that need to happen to you know even when people have guns make them decide not to use them. We're at the Wintrust Arena and with Carrie Leiterson in this instance we're talking about human rights and Chicago Lori Lightfoot was just made the 56th mayor of Chicago here at the Wintrust Arena, and we're um, listening to Chicago Sinfonietta in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing a lovely job whipping through some tunes, and I hope it's uh, just gentle background music for you and <laughs> not overwhelming. I wanted to say something about uh, health care and her um, remarks, and health care is a human right. That's become, uh, you know, something has changed about health care, and People in this country are ready to get some health care from the government. <laughs> um, she can't really deliver health care. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the, in the, 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 as, uh, as the Canadian government can deliver health care or other uh, developed countries can deliver health care. But she, she, she got a huge applause line on, on the um, uh, line about mental health mm-hmm. and restoring mental health care in Chicago. And, you know, she got a huge... Uh, applause on the right to reproductive health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was um, that was really. Uh, I was inspired to see that response, and the you know the mental health care um, has been both a literal and a symbolic issue. You know, going back a long time, including throughout Rom's tenure, and the way the mental health clinics that Daly and Rom closed are still a huge issue. Um, in her campaign and now in her administration, I think just says so much about um, a, a part of health care that the city actually can deliver um, and a part of health care that's, even, you know, extremely interlinked with violence and poverty and, and feeling marginalized and all these other issues that the city does have power over. So, um, I mean, her, uh, you know, symbolic support for reproductive health care and her what sounded like a commitment to actually do something um, on mental health care, you know, is really significant, and it will be really interesting to see what the the mental health component specifically how that plays out. The um, and you started your book, Mayor One Percent, with the protests at the mayor about the, mm-hmm. the the mental health clinics and mm-hmm. the the kind of divisive situation that really got Rahm Emanuel into. Uh, a lot of people really looked at him differently after that. Mm-hmm. And I always thought the mental health movement and, and, you know, larger movement around mental health is just really a great, powerful symbol of, you know, how people, even the most marginalized, really can speak up and, and force those in power to listen to them. And, you know, the fact that she mentioned that in her speech today, eight years after um, that campaign was crystallizing in Rahm Emanuel's administration, um, you know, that says a lot beyond even mental health care. That says a lot about um, how, in an ideal world, citizens can really set the agenda. I wanted to ask a a little bit about inequality in the city and the right to 
I don't, I'm, I don't know what human right that exactly is, but inequality seems to be balled up in there somewhere. Uh, how can she change that equation? It is a, I mean, obviously, uh, Rahm Emanuel um, seemed to cater to the 1%. She wrote a book about <laughs> being Mayor 1%. Uh, the mental health care people labeled him Mayor 1%. Uh, what, how do you move on that? It seems like such an intractable issue to... Uh, uh, you need to build up the inner, the city's uh, center. You need uh, every city in the country does this kind of thing. Um, uh, if they want to grow, they try to have a vibrant city center. And this happens in Mumbai. It happens in Tokyo. It happens in San Francisco. Uh, there's just a drive to bring the wealthy to the city center and grow it out. This is the, this is like the, the textbook of what everybody does. Yeah, I just don't think it has to be a zero-sum game. You know, I mean, it's gentrification and inequality are, are related, but, um, you know, not the same issue. And, I mean, the in Chicago, the city center is already taken over by the wealthy, and there's certain neighborhoods that are gentrifying that it seems like she's um, committed to, you know, help stem gentrification and displacement in those neighborhoods. But then there's plenty of neighborhoods that aren't gentrifying and that are just, you know, low-income and disinvested and poor. And ending inequality is just investing in the city as a whole and making um, I mean there's it involves so many different components but on the most basic level like she mentioned um, the the poor you know subsidizing the city or subsidizing the wealthy or something along those lines and with regressive sales taxes and um, you know things like parking tickets and the boot and the red light cameras and all these ways that poor people are just chipped away at um, and, and lack of jobs I mean even if, even if the wealthy parts of the city are, are thriving, we want them to thrive too. But there are actual policy ways that you can reduce the the pain to low income people, and you know actually allow the lower income neighborhoods to thrive. Um, in a lot of cases, without even worrying about gentrification, because there is actually room in the city for everyone. You know, if if all the neighborhoods were places that felt equally invested and places where people wanted to live. I, I kind of feel like developers seem to call the shots in so many cities and so many places. They they um they seem to have the power to uh, transform areas and you know invest and uh, take things. How do you how do you control developers? Um, I mean, one you know taking away the aldermanic prerogative would be a start because that's one way that developers have a direct line of power over individual aldermen who have power in their wards. Um, Reforming TIFs, you know, would be another specific way, and passing affordable housing ordinances that put more requirements on developers. I mean, all things that we've done before, uh, you know, nothing that's rocket science, really. I think just taking the will, the political will, to stand up to those developers. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We're at the Trust Arena. Lori Lightfoot has just become the 56th mayor of Chicago. Uh, she gave a stirring address in which she put her shoulder into a lot of uh, human rights issues, safe streets, affordable, um, affordable housing, living wages, uh, all things that sound great. Um, uh, how, do, how do you think she's going to do on these uh, things like um, we're kind of careening into affordable housing? But if the city city wanted to do something really hard on that, uh, uh, what do they do? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard, obviously. And it, you know, looks like there's almost shaping up to be not quite council wars, but division and city council again, you know, not necessarily along race lines like in the old days, but 
along the lines of aldermen who don't want their power taken away and aldermen who want to try something new. So, I mean, it's going to be a hard fight for her, but there's a lot of great proposals out there. I mean, some like things she's specifically promised to do already and that um, big transition team and advisory council she had compiled was pretty impressive. So if she actually listens to things that they're saying, I mean, there's got to be no shortage of good ideas. So, you know, if she can... Uh, have the will in city council and, and keep listening to the advice of good people and obviously um, you know she's obviously pretty brilliant herself so it seems uh, it seems hopeful um, of course it's not going to be easy I'll be really curious to see what happens on all these issues. Uh, living wage do you think that's a possibility? It sure it, well I mean you know we've already had the different um, minimum wage increase ordinances but it, yeah it seems like a living wage that you know continues to increase to um, reflect the reality of what it takes to live here i mean that's been passed in other cities like that shouldn't be a lot of these things really shouldn't be a big deal even um so you know there's a lot of things that especially with some of the new faces in city council um and the momentum that Lori lightfoot has now um i mean it seems you know best case like should she should be able to get some some good things done that do you see her allying her, herself uh, with the new faces in the city council as, as uh, strongly as to get deliver these kind of human rights issues? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I assume, and from you know what we, we can tell already, she's not jumping to align herself with the socialists or you know the most progressive voices, which makes sense. But um, uh, you know, empowering people like Alderman Wiggs Pack and um, kind of you know, long-time progressive voices. And he'd become um, the finance chair. Yeah, if that if, if that vote works out, um, in, you know, in their favor. Uh, so, it, I mean, I would imagine, just from what I understand of her approach, that, you know, she would want to be working with um, winning over aldermen, you know, all across the spectrum and not, um, not doing what, you know, not fomenting what's probably already bound to happen to some degree with division and city council. How do you compare uh, what she's got going compared to Rahm Emanuel? I mean, Rahm Emanuel, uh, you know, Mick Dumpy was on before saying, well, he made almost all the same promises, just not the one about transparency mm-hmm. so much. Um, and uh, is, is um, do you get the feeling that there's going to be this real change that she talks about on, on some of these fundamental issues? I don't know. That's what I'm really curious to see. I think there is a real difference from Rom, though. I mean, you know, a lot of politicians say the same things. And during the campaign, I mean, most of the mayoral candidates said these same things. But um, the tone of Rom's first uh, inaugural speech was very different. And I mean, it was very clear coming out of that that he was going to, you know, be be trimming and slashing and, and that unions and, you know, sort of bloat was his big target, which that equates to, um, you know, in some ways that overlaps with um, public resources and services and and public empowerment. So I actually felt, even though some of the, you know, words and what could be empty promises might be the same, I feel like there was a different different tenor to the two inaugural addresses. And... um, and then, you know, it'll come down to the specifics. And, I mean, she's mentioned a couple specifics already. Um, and she hasn't taken on union contracts in the way Rom did almost right out of the gate. So, I mean, I think there's positively differences. There's also, obviously, um, some of the same forces backing her as we're backing Rom. And, you know, you can't, I mean, Rom did do a lot of great things with the city. You can't make a, you know, no one would make a complete 180 from what he did. So can she build on what he did 
and also um, also increase equity and you know deliver all these promises she made. That's the big question. Lori Lightfoot made a big pitch for uh, every citizen in the city to do something, to be active. And her candidacy is, uh, you know, a terrific uh, candidacy and everything, but she, uh, not a lot of people voted, you know, there are not a lot, there, there seems to be an engaged Chicago and a disengaged Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any anything in this um, moment that makes you think that that's going to change, that really... Uh, people are going to pick up and address fundamental issues like health care, affordable housing, and really give the mayor um, momentum that she needs to make changes. I mean, there's, you know, disengagement is such a problem nationwide and low voter turnout. But, um, you know, and I, I think it's great she made that call to action. But, you know, there's plenty of people doing things. It's not that there's a shortage of regular citizens and groups out there doing things. You know, no one's, I mean, people have other priorities. And, and partly because of all these problems, people a lot of times don't have the time or capability to really get involved. But there's plenty of people doing things to create the, um, the allies and the political will and the political space and to give the ideas that she needs. So, you know, low engagement. I don't I don't think she was saying it's a reason things won't happen. But I mean, that's not, um, you know, there's plenty of civic energy out there. So it's really the ball is more in the public officials court to actually respond and harness that. Carrie Leiterson teaches at Northwestern University. She writes all over town in lots of different mm-hmm. publications, and she was the author of Mayor 1% about Rahm Emanuel. Thanks for joining us and talking mm-hmm. about Chicago and human rights and the inauguration of Lori Lightfoot. Thank you so much. From WBEZ, I'm Jerome McDonald, and we are at the Wintrust Arena, where Lori Lightfoot's just become the 56th mayor of Chicago, and we're taking a global lens to the new mayor and what's going on in the city. And joining me now to talk about identity politics and the mayor is Yasmin Nair. She is an academic activist and editor-at-large of Current Affairs magazine and joins us occasionally to talk about these issues. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Yasmin. Great to be back. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was interested. I mean, identity politics um, gets a bad knock from a lot of people. Uh, in this room, it was very warmly received uh, when we talked about uh, who the new mayor is. Everybody is just so happy. Um, what is this moment? Mm-hmm. So I do think Chicago should congratulate itself for um, for electing a black lesbian mayor. I do think that's an achievement. I also think that uh, part of the critique of identity politics is that 
identity can become a way to paper over or hide other kinds of inequalities that come forward. So in the case of Laurie Lightfoot and in the case, for instance, I think it's also worthwhile talking about Mayor Pete, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who is one of the actually astonishingly a leading presidential candidate right now. And I think it's worth thinking through how each person's identity actually occludes another kind of history. So in the case of Lori Lightfoot, for instance, um, she, as a black lesbian, I think a lot of people in Chicago are assuming that all this means is that finally, for instance, LGBTQ people either gain more rights or gain more visibility and that's it. I think we have to remember that Lori Lightfoot was supported by the Human Rights Campaign, uh, which is the world's largest gay and lesbian rights organization, which started in 1980, 8-0, <laughs> as, uh, as um, the Human Rights Campaign Fund, and it has been more or less exclusively de de devoted to the most mainstream gay and lesbian causes, which include inclusion in the military, which include hate crime legislation, which extends the prison industrial complex and gay marriage, for instance. But those all right, are all so about the status quo. Quo? So, so uh, there's explain, money behind explain that. that. Sure. Why, why are those things mm -hmm. uh, about the status quo uh, not so sure. great for uh, sure. all LGBTQ people? So, for instance, hate crime legislation uh, is probably one of the worst in the sense that it extends penalties, including the death penalty, for crimes that are perceived as crimes against specific quote-unquote protected communities, right? So, But what it does is, is it really just extends the prison industrial complex in that way. And mass incarceration is someone that everyone has an issue with until it, it's, it's about identity in that sense. So that's one issue, which is the prison industrial complex. Inclusion so so you the military, think of it as a contradiction to, to, to the, the values justice. of social justice. Absolutely. And the same is true of inclusion in the military in terms of extending the might of the United States imperial power and also very much the argument about gay and lesbian inclusion in uh, the military has been that it allows poorer gays and lesbians, for instance, to ascend social mobility, which is a hor horrible, horrible reason because no one should have to give up their lives in exchange for economic security. It, but in the United States, people look back at uh, World War II and they say, well, the African-Americans were integrated into the military. It was a good thing. And that that is how we advance things. That is how President Obama advanced climate change stuff. He said the military wants to do climate change. We will advance by using the military to, to do a social issue. But the military is always a sharp double-edged sword. It also comes with uh, rampaging imperialism abroad. And I think Americans in particular tend to forget the harm that the U.S. military does outside its borders. That's one thing. And the other issue is that in terms of integration, absolutely every institution, including marriage, which we don't have to discuss very long, but you know, in, every institution should be integrated. But the issue is, A, what does the institution also do besides just integration? And also, why do people have to be part of an, that institution in order to gain the most basic rights, for instance? As far as integration of L, uh, African Americans into the military is concerned, it is in fact a fact that that African-Americans did not benefit from, for instance, the GI Bill. They did not benefit from the housing benefits that many that the white GIs got, for instance. So even though integration happened, the effects of that integration were unequal. We're talking with Yasmin Nair and discussing some of the identity politics around the new inauguration and the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, who has uh, been sworn in today as the 56th mayor here at the Wintrust Arena. Well, um, what is, are, is it um, bad that um, the human rights campaign, uh, it, it's not, so what you're saying is they're not uh, really trying to change things in a substantial way for all 
gay people. They are just trying to advance a agenda that um, is uh, looks a little more like we. Some people got some uh, access to power. Yes, very much so. The human rights campaign, and in fact, pretty much all of the mainstream gay and lesbian rights camp, you know, rights organization world, which a lot of us on the radical queer left refer to as Gay Inc. Gay Inc. is pretty much invested in mostly just the the interests of the one percent who happen to be gay and lesbian. That's the crucial difference. And I think a lot of people, even on the left, and certainly not mainstream people, n- are not aware of the enormous amounts of money that drive political campaigns from gay organizations. So, Human Rights Campaign, for instance, has a, has an operating budget of about thirty five million dollars, and that's a conservative estimate from about ten years ago. It's a massively well funded organization, and it has a lot of money to give, but it will only fund candidates, including Republicans, who will advance very sort of um, very status quo positions. So for instance, in a couple of previous elections, it it, it endorsed Mark Kirk as opposed to Tammy Baldwin. So it, it has actually in the past frequently endorsed Republican candidates and not even Democratic candidates. So, And that is very much the, the case with gay organizations by and large. And I think that we tend to forget that when we look at a black lesbian mayor, which again is an astounding achievement in many ways, but I was listening to her speech and I was listening to certain kinds of phrases she used around, for instance, uh, policing and safer communities and philanthropy and private interests, you know, driving issues like safety. And that right there, I think, tells us everything we need to know about the fact that Lori Lightfoot is perhaps not going to be markedly different from Rahm Emanuel. Her interest, even before the election, as we all know, there was a massive controversy when she supported police academies over what Tony Preckwinkle, for instance, had proposed. And Laurie and Lori Lightfoot was very much supported by a gay, um, uh, you know, a gay elite in Chicago. And again, people aren't aware that there is such thing as a gay and lesbian elite in Chicago. But there is, and it's well-funded, and it is interested in the status quo. It's interested in gentrification in a very particular way, for instance. Well, uh, in, obviously, Pete Buttigieg looks like the um, prototypical candidate in that regard i mean the things things he did uh, as mayor were were all about uh those kind of things cleaning Cleaning up up. his thousand houses in thousand days essentially meant that bulldozers went into uh economically depressed communities and literally just raised houses sometimes to the shock of people who had been living there well, uh, how, what is the opposite of that? What is the candidate you want to see stand up to advance the cause of LGBTQ people? I want someone who understands and ensures that LGBTQ interests are not seen as separate from interests that have to do with eradicating inequality. So I don't want a mayor who says, you know, I will... I will ensure visibility of LGBTQ people if all that means is that we have more galas for wealthy gay and lesbian people. What I want, for instance, is a mayor who will look at the center on Halstead in Chicago, which is ostensibly the gay and lesbian center serving Chicago's LGBTQ population, but which has historically been extraordinarily racist towards its African-American trans population, for instance, which resides in a deeply, deeply racist, mostly white gay neighborhood that has historically continued continued 
to try and get the police to surveil and arrest LGBTQ, Af- mostly African-American youth. So that's what I want is for someone to understand that LGBTQ interests are not separate from the interests around eradicating inequality. Have you ever seen a candidate like this? <laughs> if, uh, you know, me- if memories, I think if there was someone who came up and then they just sort of disappeared, <laughs> perhaps, so I would, I'm struggling to remember. <laughs> um, the can- that candidate would... Um would kind of a uh, campaign on, on a gay in- Bernie Sanders basically, <laughs> yeah. or a gay Inter- Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. <laughs> so. Interconnectedness, the, the like the the relationship between issues. Yes, exactly. Um, how do you think uh, Mayor Lightfoot is going to be received by the people who are critical of identity politics? How do you think that that she is going to be viewed by by other uh, people? So you know. <laughs> who is the problem there is that there are two kinds of people who are critical of identity politics there's the deep right wing and then there's the deep left wing and both sides are actually kind of problematic because they tend to assume I do think I am one of those who's very critical of how identity is used as you've just heard yep. however we also have to acknowledge that matters like racism and sexism do exist and that they do help to bring people down so that's a complicated question because that requires us to then start to tease out what, you know, I'm always very, I always want to be sure that our critique of identity politics has always, first of all, got to be foregrounded in a sense that identity matters for people who have to live through their identity on a daily basis. Um, You know, are there problems uh, with uh, homophobia in a- all sorts of communities, in the African American community, and in, in, in the white community, in the white, in the white community. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, you know, homophobia is a problem in every community, and I and I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's a tendency to sort of assume that communities of color, and particularly African American communities, are somehow more homophobic. Homophobia is a problem, but there are ways to deal with homophobia, which I think that there are community-based ways, there are legislative ways, there are also complicated ways in which to deal with that, what we don't want is a way of dealing with homophobia through the prison industrial complex. You know, is to use a much more punitive set of solutions. And that is what concerns me. And that's what's interesting, I think, to watch for in Laurie Lightfoot's tenure is to see how those issues around the oppression of minorities might, might sink with the question might sink with the development of a much harsher regime of policing, which looks softer because it's led by a black lesbian. So again, that's why I was noting the words that she was using in terms of policing and reform. Those are all sort of buzzwords. All right. So you seem about the you seem about the most cautious about uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Well, because, again, I listened to what she had to say earlier, you know, before she was elected. And I think she's very, very, I'm extremely cautious about her because I think she's extremely good at using the discourse developed by people like me and my comrades, you know, people like Mariam Kaba and people like Paige May of Asada's Daughters, radical leftists who have been doing a lot of anti-police brutality work, for instance, anti-prison industrial complex work. But she's very good at, she's, she's, she is like a candidate of the millennium. She's extraordinarily good at using our rhetoric. And that is what concerns me a great deal. I want to see what she does as opposed to what she says she's going to do. 
Yasmin Nair is an academic activist and editor-at-large of Current Affairs Magazine. She joins us from time to time to talk about identity politics and whatnot. Thanks a lot for joining us here at the Wintrust Arena. Thank you for having me on, Gerald. Thanks. We're going to be right back in a moment, and we're going to talk about the new mayor and the environment. Stay tuned. I'm Jerome McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We are at the Wind Trust Arena, where Lori Lightfoot has just become the 56th mayor of Chicago. She was sworn in earlier. About an hour ago, she gave her inauguration address. We're going to take a few moments and talk about the environment in the city of Chicago, and we're going to peel through a few people here. The first is uh, Suzanne Malik McKenna. She was an advisor to Lori Lightfoot on the environment during her campaign and uh, served previously in Mayor Daley's administration and uh, with Chicago. Chicago Wilderness for a good while. Great to see you. Thanks. Great to be here. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about um, how prominent the environment and climate change is to Lori Lightfoot, because if you were to take the address today, it really didn't come up as much as many other important issues. But we're living at a time where people are... um, you know, declaring climate emergencies and saying we've got to transform systems now. Uh, and we did not hear that today. That's right. Um, I'll tell you this. Um, hang on one second. We're going we're to get you on a microphone. Let's go. go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So this is the thing. One thing that has changed since eight years ago when I was in is a much better understanding of resiliency and the necessity of how climate impacts communities. So it wasn't mentioned, but I think with the addition of Candace Miller as a chief deputy officer, um, and hold on, is it this one? Okay. <laughs> um, kind of thinking about how things are going to happen at the community level, that's really important. It's definitely one of her key goals. She has said she wants to start the Department of Environment again. Um, I think there's a lot that she's got on her plate. So there's going to need to be a little bit of pushing to make sure some of the critical things that she intends to do does happen. And I think there's going to need to be some advocacy as well as working through how the finances can work to put that department back together. Well, what, are, what are the key things? If you, were, if you wanted to get uh, carbon down, what would you do right now if you were the mayor of Chicago? Um, I will never, ever, thank God, <laughs> run for any <laughs> office. Um, but uh, I, I mean, think Rahm Emanuel came in and said, "Well, it's the big buildings. We got to retrofit the big buildings. We got to do. We got to right." That's and that's first still step. part of it. Um, you know, when we put together the climate action plan, we had five critical areas, and energy efficiency was one of them. Transportation, another. Um, waste and industrial pollution is a huge one that I think people don't really pay attention to. The kind of impact of emissions from transportation, which in this region is higher now because the coal plants have shut down. So there's what do we do regionally? Yes. So um, when we had the Climate Action Plan in 2008, um, we said that 27% of the emissions was transportation, right? And I think it was, I don't remember now, like 70 or something that was energy, of course, connected to if you looked at the local 
right, connected to the coal plants, right? So we think we have to think globally, of course, but the emissions for transportation is still very high, especially in low-income communities where we have trucks and industrial, et cetera. So that plus things like refrigerants that are 2,000 times more deleterious than typical carbon dioxide emissions are really, really critical. Um, Monica Ng is here, WBEZ's Monica Ng, and you've been actually looking back at the Climate Action Plan and thinking about what did and didn't get done. Uh, what what kind of reflections do you have on this? Well, it's it's pretty mixed. Um, there are some areas where the cities hit a home run. Uh, we have lots more people walking and biking these days, but they also wanted to boost CTA ridership by 30%, and I think we'll have a guest uh, a little later in this who'll talk about that didn't happen and why. Um, we've been also looking at... Yeah, some of the retrofits that they've made to buildings and how much that has brought down um, emissions due to electricity or energy. Also, you know, we've looked at recycling. You know, if you're talking about residential recycling, we're about 9%. But you can also look at construction recycling as well. Um, but it's it's a mixed bag. Um Suzanne, do you have some reaction to some of that? Well, I think one thing that we really need to do is an updated carbon emissions mapping for this region. I think that's going to make a very big difference. The last time it was 2006, 2007. And because of the changes... And that was really interesting because you get to see where the carbon's coming you from. You absolutely and, can. And, and that was, I, I, and I remember looking at the top 10 things and thinking, wow, that was not, exa- that was not at all right? what I thought. Exactly. And when you go out and into the suburbs. They were like it, universities and things. Absolutely. Uh, um, and when you go out to the suburbs, it was way more transportation because there was a lot less public transit. And there was a lot more space, so you didn't have as much energy take as you will. So, um, what? We're swapping mics musical again. mics here. All right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think one critical thing for us to own is to do another inventory for the region. Um, and then I think we need to just keep plugging away at some of the goals, but also kind of lifting up some of the other goals that I think have kind of fallen behind. Suzanne Malik McKenna was uh, advising Lori Lightfoot on some of the environment issues. She was with the Environment Office during Mayor Daly's time. Thanks a lot for joining us and talking and getting us started on, on the environment here. You're welcome. Thanks so much. This is Worldview on WBEZ. We're at the Wind Trust Arena and uh, for the ma- inauguration of Lori Lightfoot as 56th mayor of Chicago. And uh, we're flipping around and talking about the environment and sustainability. And I wanted to um, chat with Antonia Ornelas. Uh, Antonia, did, um, I'm sorry, uh, we don't have a microphone in front of you. We're having microphone bump. Uh, and I pronounce your last name? Uh, Ornelas. Ornelas, and you're director of energy programs with Elevate Energy, and yes. you were also in uh, the city government previously? That's correct. Uh, I'm really excited to be here, um, being part of this historic occasion. Um, Elevate Energy focuses on helping low-income communities um, address energy needs, uh, specifically focusing on those communities with least resources. One of the uh, really um, great things that I heard today from the mayor is that a mayor can't do it alone. And focusing on partnerships throughout the community um, will focus on helping uh, those communities that have previously been left behind. What's been, has there been any substantial progress on that issue? Of, of, uh, how, how, I mean, there's yeah. been some state legislation that, that mm-hmm. seems to be optimistic. Is, it, is the rubber meeting the road there? Absolutely. Um, we started out with the Future Energy Jobs Act, which has accelerated energy efficiency and provided incentives for solar energy. Um, that's the beginning. 
Uh, currently, there's work with uh, partners with the um, Coalition for Clean Energy Jobs, and um, that is looking to bring in more local jobs into the green uh, economy. So working together with the state efforts, working together with these groups that are ready and making progress, as well as with community groups, engaging seniors, youth, there's a real opportunity for the mayor to bring in the equity lens that she's been talking about. Uh, Can you point to or identify a project that you're really excited about? A project that is, uh, is doing all those things at once because it always seems like yeah, it, yeah. Sa- it well, sounds like it's going great, but I I, uh, I don't know yeah. in reality the picture sure. the, what it looks like. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that um, Elevate Energy actually does, and I can talk about, we've been doing this for over ten years, retrofitted fifty-five thousand residential units. Um, but a component that we bring to the table is. Um, health and safety. There's a lot of families that do not have the funding to uh, repair roofs, to do other things that need to be done first in their buildings to do this. Um, The acceleration of um, FIJA, which is the Future Energy Jobs Act, has provided additional funding and allocated health and safety uh, resources to do that. Um, And if if I may um, just paint a picture, just think about a a uh, senior living in the southeast side of Chicago uh, with a daughter who doesn't have a job and, and three grandchildren, um, doesn't drive, doesn't speak Spanish. Um, how do you bring all of these resources to families like that? And, and again, there's a real opportunity here for the mayor to bring in that equity lens to data. Um, take a look at where the uh, cumulative environmental impacts are in the city, conduct a study that will tell you that and paint that picture, uh, and then overlay that with um, perhaps the stress communities. Uh, there's an opportunity zones um, program. It's new, it's federal, and it provides uh, tax credits. Um, so work with all of your partners to bring in uh, those resources to the communities that need them most first. Do you see a Department of the Environment being an important component of that? Uh, I I do. Um, I'm also really excited about um, the new um, chief equity officer um, because a Department of Environment um, has a lot of work to do in terms of various areas, whether it's enforcement um, or setting goals, uh, renewable energy goals. Uh, But again, having that equity officer um, hopefully will ensure that uh, again, those communities that need them most see these resources and are not left behind by those early adopters that, you know, have the funding and, and ability to um, get resources from um, existing incentives, like from the utilities. Um, so another partner is the utility, um, uh, both utilities, gas and electric, to provide and bring all of those resources and leverage them further. Antonio Ornelas is uh, Director of Energy Programs for Elevate Energy. Uh, Check them out on the web and see more about their work. Thanks a lot for joining us and talking about the environment and Mayor Lightfoot. Thanks for having me. And batting cleanup is John Greenfield. He's a transportation columnist for The Reader and editor of the Streets blog Chicago and does transportation issues. It's great to see you, John. Oh, it's good to be here. Did you ride your bike? Uh, yes. Somewhere. It's a great way to get here. Believe me, the, their traffic was gridlocked. I rode my bike. It was awesome. It, yeah, I felt pretty <laughs> smug while I was biking you know, past the stalled cars on Cermak getting here. I put my bike on the red line from uptown. Good idea. Um, 
Are you optimistic about what's happening in the transportation realm? Because we didn't hear a lot about it uh, here in the inaugural address. Uh, is it a is it a gigantic priority? Do you think for uh, the new administration? I am very optimistic because Lori put out an excellent transportation platform that basically had just about everything I would have put on my wish my wish list. Um, she really understands the the things that we need to get done transportation wise in Chicago. Particularly, I was impressed by her emphasis on speeding up bus service service, which is a major issue. Bus ridership has been plummeting in Chicago over the last decade. Uh, speeds, bus speeds have been slowing down because of uh, increased traffic due to ride ride hailing. So we really got to get top on top of that issue. You know, I was struck by the new uh, capital bill uh, from Illinois, and they're laying out money for uh, mostly roads. It sounds like, and it doesn't look uh, the the initial proposal is not very deep on public transportation, and it seems like public transportation is really what's needed. It, can Mayor Lightfoot? go to the state and get some money for public transportation. Yeah, that's something I'd really like to see her do. Um, Like you said, I think it's $23 billion would be earmarked for roads and bridges and only, I think, $3.4 billion for transit in the... uh, you know, it's just a proposal at this point. It's it's in it's flux. Malleable. But it's you know, it sounds like the road building lobby had a little bit too much influence on this document. I mean, if there were a climate emergency and you were really serious about doing yeah, yeah. something, that, that was that not, would the, not, not the not way to do it. Uh, you know, transportation expert Steve Schlickman uh, emailed me over the weekend saying that he's a little bit more optimistic about the plan. That it, the numbers aren't actually as bad as you might think from looking at that. So I got to look into that more closely. But it's not what we wanted for transit. Um, the Active Transportation Alliance was lobbying for 40% of the budget to go towards transit. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be something that I really want to see Lori advocate for is, you know, getting this bill to be more equitable. Um, you know, Cook County includes a, a large chunk of the Illinois population, so we really ought to be meeting the needs of Cook County residents in that in that uh, bill. And that means better transit, not just building lots of roads. Uh you know, it seems like miles of bike lane is just some kind of number that people throw out there in political campaigns these days. Um, and it's something that, um, I, I, you know, they can do initially and look green. Uh, do you think miles and miles more bike lanes is, is like a um, kind of a green, green, I don't know what, greenwashing now? Oh, no, not at all. Um, I, I mean... Transit is more important to the city of Chicago than biking. Uh, you know, less than two percent of uh, residents bike to work at this point, according to the census. But um, it, but it's still important. I mean, it's a but the, but politicians get out there and wave it around like uh, this is. Uh, I'm going to do. I'm going to put a million bike lanes in, and they're, then they're green. I, I mean, biking certainly has huge potential for improving um, transportation access, public health. Um, and uh, helping people economically, especially in underserved neighborhoods. Uh, the group Slow Roll Chicago, for example, has been big about pushing the potential benefits for underserved communities from bicycling. Um, but, you know, another thing about it is we also need to attract um, tech workers and millennials and, you know, young people who want to live in a uh, enjoyable uh, city where you don't have to drive to get around. Fewer and fewer young people want to want to own cars nowadays. So it's really important for us to have a good uh, trip bike network in order to attract businesses to Chicago. So there's there's many ways that having a good bike network will benefit Chicago. But we still got too many holes in our network, so we need to fill that in. And Lori knows that. 
I think she'll she'll do a good job with it. Uh, the the expansion of Divi Lift. Do you, are are you optimistic that it is going to get out to the neighborhoods and um, and do the thing that it would do for all Chicagoans and bring bring transportation to all Chicagoans? I am. Yeah, I think it's great that that contract passed. I think in retrospect, we have to we have to acknowledge that the city did not do a good job with equity with Divi. That uh, you know they took the low hanging fruit and concentrated the stations in denser parts of town, more affluent, whiter parts of town. Um, and this is an opportunity to correct that. We are going to be nearly tripling the fleet, and uh, they are pledging to cover the entire city within a couple of years. One thing that's going to help is these new bikes are electric assist and dockless. Um, you can park them at stations or you can lock them to a bike rack with a built-in lock. And what that will do is that will work well in less dense areas where you know it might be tough to put so many stations that will allow people to get right to their destination without having to walk 10 minutes from a station. So in, um, in spite of the fact that there wasn't a lot of talk about transportation and the environment, you're optimistic. Uh, you know, one thing that I, I homed in on her speech was uh, that she's going to blow up aldermanic prerogative because, uh, you know, I'm just so sick of aldermen vetoing good projects. Uh, you know, most, we, we've seen that a lot with affordable housing. Um, you know, white middle class neighborhoods don't want affordable housing right. in there like Jefferson Park. But um, it's also been a big problem for sustainable transportation, particularly protected bike lanes have been kiboshed by aldermen who don't get it. John Greenfield is the editor of the street blog Chicago. Check it out. It's very informative on transportation issues. He's the transportation columnist for the Chicago Reader as well. John, thank you for joining us and talking about transportation and the new mayor. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Worldview from the Wind Trust Arena today, talking about uh, the new mayor of Chicago, the 56th mayor, Lori Lightfoot, uh, inaugurated here today. Tomorrow we'll be back in the studio, our humble WBEZ studios on Navy Pier, instead of the splashy Wind Trust Arena. But we'll be talking a bit about recycling with Monica Eng tomorrow, and I uh, hope you can join us for that tomorrow on Worldview. I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.